Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. Right, our 316 series continues uh, today with, uh, and, and you will, if you've noticed on the newsletter, the listing of the uh, 10 uh, books of the Bible that we're looking at, chapter 3, verse 16, there's a, a few of them, three or four maybe, that we're also including verse 17 for obvious reasons, and this is one of them because it kind of continues the sentence uh, about the power and the authority and the wonder of the Word of God, but also of what it does in our lives when we truly let His uh, Word speak to us and we uh, respond to it as He intends. Second Timothy 3. God's guide for life. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Probably not a surprise to you when I tell you that virtually anything we buy anymore has instructions with or on it. And some of the directions are painfully obvious thanks to our lawsuit happy society. But basically instructions are a good thing if we follow them. Maybe quite a few years ago now you saw one of those little booklets, might have been given one of those about this size of a booklet. Uh, and it would be called Life's Little Instruction Book, and it would have a bunch of just good, ordinary, common sense stuff, which is kind of lacking in our world today. Uh, so those were nice little books. Well, some creative person <laughs> during, during that, that time period uh, decided to do a parody of that, and I'm not sure where I found this, but they wrote a parody called Life's Little Destruction Book. <laughs> and in the subheading, it says, 512 boorish, insensitive, and socially obnoxious pointers for leading a simple, self-centered life. Let me give you some examples of some of the 512 things they tell you to do, you know, basically if you want to be a jerk. Uh, read other people's mail. Tell the ending of movies. Bite your dentist's finger. Make animal noises in libraries. Open gift checks at the wedding and announce the amount. (laughs) Blow other people's birthday uh, candles out. Alternately, raise and lower your voice to make people question their hearing. Put a title like senator or doctor before your name when making dinner reservations. (laughs) And finally, lick the knife before putting it back in the strawberry jam. (laughs) Anyway... My advice is, don't follow that advice. (laughs) The fact is, our world is not lacking for advice or for self-appointed wisdom dispensers. Just spend 10 minutes on social media and you will see (laughs) that there are plenty of people out there ready to give you and me advice. But there's also no shortage of various rules and guidelines Some good, some bizarre, and others driven by certain agendas. 
So the important question becomes, with all this information and all this advice and all this guidance out there, the important question becomes, whose rules and guidelines are you following? There's plenty of rules, there's plenty of guidelines. Whose are you following? You see, how we each answer that question makes all the difference in the world. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 points us to the ultimate infallible source of guidance. And it tells us why. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I want us to consider this amazing book of guidelines that God has given us for our life and for our good. So first of all, your first main point, we follow the Bible because the Bible is from God. The Bible is from God. This translation says all scripture is God-breathed. King James says given by inspiration of God. The English standard says breathed out by God. And here's an amazing thought, that the Bible originated in the very heart of God. And then that God has chosen to speak to us in human language that we can understand and process. That's pretty amazing if you think about that. So we have to ask then, how did God do that? And what does that mean? Well, first of all, let's look at the process. And this is, gets, this is a little heavier, a little more uh, detail, but it's, it's a very important foundation. The process that God used to give us what we call the Bible or the Word of God. Well, there's two aspects to that. First of all, revelation, the revealing of something. And basically that word means, in the context we're using it, the direct communication of truth from God to others. Usually a prophet or apostle or whoever to convey those things to the rest of the human race. In other words, God has revealed certain things to human beings that we could otherwise not know ourselves without God revealing it. Things about the creation of the world, or about God's grace, or the reason Jesus died on the cross, or about heaven and life after death. We couldn't know those things without God revealing those things to us. Now, that's kind of an obvious one. We even have a book of the Bible named after that concept, the Revelation. But there's a second aspect, and this is very important in us getting the Bible the way God wanted it given to us. And that is the word inspiration. And we do not use this word the same way now for the most part. But inspiration in this context means this, that God guided the human writers of the Bible so they accurately wrote what he wanted written down there. So the basic idea of the word is to breathe into or infuse life into something, inspire, inspiration. So here's the process, as I understand from some places in Scripture. The Holy Spirit of God prompted and supervised the writing of Scripture to make sure the information that was recorded was recorded accurately by the prophets and apostles who wrote it down. Now I want you to go ahead and turn to John 14. To Jesus on the last night before his arrest 
explaining to his apostles some of what, how that process would work. And he is speaking specifically to them. Now, before we read this verse, you can go there to John 14. I want to put one up here on the screen from 2 Peter chapter 1. This is verse 20 and 21. All right, I want you to notice what this says about, and at that time when it's written, the Old Testament. All right, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through though human, spoke from God as they were, and this phrase is important, carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the inspiration. The Holy Spirit was guiding and carrying along those apostles as they wrote down the words of God to give to us. Now, I've asked you to turn to John 14 because this is the account of Jesus' last evening with his disciples. This is after the Last Supper, before his arrest. So you have chapter 14, 15, 16, and then 17, his prayer, which describes that evening. And what's important about that is that Jesus is giving some final instructions to those men he has been training. There's only 11 of them. Judas is gone by this point. So in John 14, verse 25 and 26, God speaks to the 11 remaining apostles, and he makes them this promise. This promise is not to you and me. He made it to those men. He says this, verse 25 and 26, All this I have spoken while still with you. In other words, the last three years we've spent together, guys, so I've told you a lot of things. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he tells the, these apostles, okay, you've heard me teach a lot of things, and, and the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of those things so you don't rem remember them incorrectly. <laughs> and he's going to even tell you some new things um, to write down. Now, similar thought, he tells them later in the same conversation, John 16, verse 13. He goes, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the result of that, prophecy, pro, uh, that process, that promise from Jesus of revelation and inspiration is that all the Bible is from the heart of God, not just the red letter parts <laughs> where it quotes Jesus, the Bible as a whole is God-ufactured, it's not manufactured. And that's why just a few moments ago we sang these words, holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. That was the process. But we also notice in point B, the product, all right, the result of that. The product of that inspiration process is a totally reliable message from God. Now, I want to give three evidences of that. Number one, the consistency and unity we find in the Bible when we really look at it honestly. Here is a book. Now, think about this, and I've said this sentence or paragraph multiple times through the years, probably 50 times at this church. Here is a book recorded in 66 separate units, over a period of about 1,500 years by 40 different writers in three different languages on three different continents in many different styles of literature. And yet it gives one consistent, continuous flowing testimony throughout. There is no other explanation on earth 
How you could get a book with that much consistency and unity written over 1,500 years in all those different places by all those different people and have everything match everything else. Consistency and unity. But also another evidence is the amazing accuracy. Did you realize, and this is really important, especially to skeptics today, did you realize that the Bible speaks accurately about things that weren't discovered or explained in some cases until centuries later? Let me give you three or four examples. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11, which actually is talking about the Word of God or Him speaking, talks about the water cycle. The water cycle. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. It talks about the water cycle of precipitation and evaporation and that whole process and this was written in 700 years, 700 years before the time of Christ. And it was talking about the water cycle that we didn't even understand at that point as humans. Isaiah 40, verse 22. And I think these are, yeah, these are all in your outline if you want to check them, up, check them out later on. Isaiah 40, verse 22, talks about, get this, the circle of the earth. In other words, it talks about a round earth 2,200 years before Christopher Columbus ever sailed. Because God knew it, even if scientists at that time, and many centuries later, still talked about a flat earth. Then there's Job 26.7, which talks about the earth being suspended in space. And that was written 2,000 B.C. In other words, 4,000 years ago, talking about the earth being suspended in space. And one more example, Leviticus 17, verse 11 and 14, taught that the life is in the blood. That was written in 1400 B.C., and we now know, centuries later, that blood circulates water, oxygen, and nourishment to the cells of our bodies. The life is in the blood. God said it 3,400 years ago before human scientists ever even got close to pondering that thought. But then thirdly, there's another evidence of that book being from God is the profound answers for and about life. The Bible answers the ultimate questions of life. And I know I've talked about this just recently. Questions like, who am I? And where did I come from? And why am I here? And how should I live? And how can my sins be forgiven? And what happens when I die? The Bible answers those ultimate questions See, the Bible is able to answer those questions because it is from God. As our text says, all Scripture is God-breathed. But also, since the Bible is from God, that brings us to the second point on your outline. The Bible is authoritative. It is the authority. It is the final word. It is the ultimate standard, the test by which we judge everything else in the church and in the world and in politics and in the education system and in our personal lives. Now, please understand, <laughs> that idea is extremely unpopular today for obvious reasons. It terrifies and angers many people to say that the Bible is the final authority, to say that anything is the final authority. But the fact is, if you think about it, all other sources of authority that we use in life are limited and therefore inadequate. And that includes ourselves. You see, our personal opinions and feelings can be wrong. 
Every one of us. And that's why it's dangerous uh, to use that expression, follow your heart. Well, that's a good thing if your heart is focused in the right place and is committed to God. Following your heart if your heart's a mess is, a, is horrible advice. <laughs> Personal opinions and feelings can be wrong. Court pronouncements can be misguided. Presidential executive orders or king's decrees can be way off base. <laughs> Medical pronouncements can be helpful or they can be agenda-driven, as we've seen in the last couple of years. Even religious pronouncements by popes or denominations or preachers like me can be wrong or misguided. Cultural trends and majority opinion can be very evil. You see, the majority was very wrong in Noah's day. Tiny, tiny fraction of the human race was right. Everybody else was wrong. The majority was wrong in Nazi Germany when they accepted the lie that Jews were lesser human beings. Opinion polls can matter very little. So the fact is, we need a single authoritative standard to judge everything else by, which is provided by God's inspired word. So if the Bible says it, that settles it, whether I like it or not and whether you like it or not. The Bible's authoritative. Put two categories on your outline, too. It's authoritative for all people. Now, think about this. The Bible was written originally to Jews, Romans, and Greeks. It was written to country people, city people, Christians, and non-Christians. It has been translated into more than 2,000 languages, and more than 3,000 languages have at least a portion of Scripture in them. And it is changing lives in every one of those languages and people groups. So you see the historical account of a Jewish itinerant preacher being nailed to a Roman cross outside an ancient city in Palestine has touched the hearts of people all over the world, and it has caused them to re-examine their own lives. The Bible is authoritative for all people. And it's authoritative for all times. See, the Bible contains living words that are always relevant, and that's why I like that song so much. Ancient words, ever true, changing me, changing you. You see, the Bible is not a musty old book with meaningless details about God. It is life-giving and life-changing. 1 Peter 1 describes this, starting in verse 23. When it says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, notice this, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He's quoting from Isaiah 40. And Jesus affirmed that himself in Matthew 24, 35, when he said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So God's word stands forever, and it is relevant forever. It was carried in the ancient Ark of the Covenant. It, was, it reformed the nation of Israel, or Judah under the time, in the time of Josiah. Jesus revered, absolutely revered the Bible. He praised it. He quoted from it. He quoted from those creation accounts as history. 
The early church proclaimed that word on three different continents. The Bible spurred the Renaissance, bringing Europe out of the Dark Ages. The Bible was central to our own fellowship's movement to restore Christianity to its original form. And last week, that same word changed the hearts and lifestyles of people in Brazil and Honduras and Thailand and India and Tanzania and Kazakhstan. God's word of life still guides us and exercises authority over us today. And that's why it must always be central in the life of this congregation and the final authority here and in our personal lives. And it's the reason it's so important that we study it together. Here's the third thing about the Bible. The Bible helps us develop a complete life. This is the rest of the passage here. All Scripture is God-breathed, and then notice this, and is useful for, and we'll dissect this list, teaching, rebuking, we don't like that one, correcting, we don't like that one too well either, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Something called the New Living Translation puts it this way. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. And Obviously, in that passage, it gives us four areas where the Bible is useful and profitable. First of all, point A, the Bible reveals truth. We kind of already touched on this, but that's the word teaching in the passage. In other words, actual information and facts from God that we need to know, like what God is like and how to know Him and follow Him and how to live a meaningful life and avoid the pitfalls. That's why we sang in that song, Holy Words, long preserved for our walk in this world. God teaches us. But God also does something else. And again, this word gets a little more uncomfortable. Uh, point B, God's Word reveals us. <laughs> That's the rebuking part, the reproof part. The Bible, in other words, points out our condition, like it or not. It points out our wrong, sinful behavior, whether we like it or not. And let's be honest, that's why some people cannot stand the Bible. One evidence of that I saw, and you see this a lot in our culture anymore, but I just saw, I think last night, I was looking at a, a, a picture from a pro-abortion protests, I think in Oregon, where they were actually using a Bible as a soccer ball. That's the way to say, this book is against what we stand for. People can't stand the Bible because it corrects us. But God sees us as we really are and wants us to see that as well. We won't turn there, but James chapter 1 at one point compares the Bible to a mirror and how we should look in that mirror of the Bible to see ourselves and then make the adjustments just like we do in a physical mirror when our hair looks like a mess and we see it in the mirror so we fix it. See, the Bible helps us see our life clearly and shows us what we need to fix. Now, the mirror thing reminds me of a funny thing I read several years ago. It said, youth is when you make faces in the mirror. 
middle age is when the mirror gets even. And I don't know, it doesn't go to the third stage that I'm in now, the senior citizen stage. It really gets even, maybe. I don't know. But the point is, we cannot do much about graying hair or wrinkling skin or other physical changes, but God is absolutely passionate about helping us get rid of our spiritual imperfections that we all have. So his word rebukes us by revealing us because God loves us. But the next step in that, after he's revealed to us what I and you need to work on, is he redirects us. That's your point. See, that's the correcting, the idea of repentance. Okay, I see God. Yeah, that is a problem in my heart right now. <laughs> Thanks for showing it to me. Um, I'm really sorry, God, so I'm going to work on that. I need your help to help me do that. See, the Bible is a guide to help us return to the right path, to steer us away from the wrong things. Someone put it this way. I think I had this in my email last night or yesterday. God's word is like a highway sign. You don't have to pay attention to it if you don't care what happens to you. Which then reminds me <laughs> of a patrolman in West Virginia who pulled a lady over. She was going 15 miles over the speed limit. He wrote her a ticket. Well, she was ha wasn't happy, so she says, don't you give out warnings. To which he said, yes, ma'am, they're all up and down the road. They say speed limit, 55 miles an hour and hand her the ticket. God's given us plenty of warnings <laughs> because he loves us. The question is, do we care what happens to us? Are we going to pay attention to his warnings and his corrections? Isaiah 48, verse 17 and 18 says this. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you who directs you in the way you should go. And then notice this sad verse 18. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your well-being like the waves of the sea. You know, I've told you exactly what you need to hear, but you didn't listen, so now you've got problems because you didn't listen. Are you paying attention to what God says? The corrections? See, it takes courage to read the Bible and to follow it, since the Bible has the power to redirect our life. And some people, many people in our society, do not have the courage to sit down and read the Bible. They are not brave enough. Are you courageous? But there's a fourth step in the process, and that is the Word of God guides us. It guides us. This is the phrase, training in righteousness. God tells us, you know, okay, we've worked through what your weak areas are, what you need to tweak a bit or a whole bunch or change completely or get rid of. Now here's the way you need to go. Psalm 119, 105, very familiar verse, says your word, it's a prayer to God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So if we don't want to get lost on the wrong dark path, God says, follow me. Follow me. If you don't want to get lost, follow me. <laughs> Reminds me of something way back when Daniel Boone was kind of known as he could kind of get his way, way around anywhere without any kind of uh, guidance through the uh, forests and woods of early America. And uh, frontiersman Daniel Boone was once asked if he had ever been lost. And he says, nope, 
but I was bewildered once for four days. <laughs> you know, God does not want us to be bewildered <laughs> or lost. So he says to us, here's the way to go. Here's how to live. <laughs> Just follow me. It's interesting when, when God was bringing the people of Israel into the, the promised land or about to cross the Jordan River. Moses was now gone, their leader for all those years, and he's preparing Joshua to lead the way. And in Joshua 1, God tells Joshua this. And I want you to notice, and I think this is the only place in the Bible that uses the word success or successful in, in most translations, and it's in the context of following the Bible. <laughs> says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I gave to their, swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then then you will be prosperous and successful. God says, do things my way. Let me train you and guide you, and your life will be fulfilling. Not always easy, not always comfortable, but it'll be fulfilling. So I ask you, are you doing things God's way? You see, when we do, when we do, Everybody benefits. We do and others around us. I like how Gary Zustiak put it in his book, Reasons to Believe. He said, the fact is that wherever the Bible has gone, its effect upon the people who have received it has been to lift them to a higher plane. It has influenced the founding of many universities and colleges, hospitals, orphanages, nursing homes, and other charitable organizations. On an individual basis, it has made better husbands and wives, better fathers and mothers, better employers and employees, and better neighbors and citizens, end of quote. And I've seen that to be true over and over and over and over again in people's lives and in society. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And now notice the final result and goal of the Bible in verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the Bible prepares us not just to know things, but to do certain things. And there are two main goals of the Bible, if you think about it, that are expressed in, in, in this passage. The first, or the, actually the second we're going to look at first, is in verse 17, and that would be maturity. Maturity. The idea of being complete and perfectly adapted for a purpose, thoroughly furnished, that's what that, the idea of that, that word is, so we can be mature, useful followers of Jesus. That's God's goal, to make us more mature, spiritually, mentally, socially, in every other way, through his word. But then we go back to verse 14 and 15, the verses that lead up to this passage, and we find out the primary goal of the word of God, and that is salvation for us. Verse 14 and 15 Paul writes to this younger preacher, Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. In other words, Timothy was blessed that he had a mother and a grandmother that taught him the Bible. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, here it is, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
You see, the book itself, the pages, the, the, this book, the Bible, does not save us, but it points us to the one who does. Because inside, that book tells us of God's dealings with people. Tells us of his love. Tells us of his justice, his grace, his sending his son to die in our place. It tells us of Jesus' triumph over sin and death in his resurrection. And it tells us of his offer of salvation by grace for any of us, no matter what we've done. And then the Bible also tells us how to respond to that grace plan it tells us how we believe in Jesus and his salvation events and truly trust him. It tells how we confess that belief. It tells how we are to repent of our sins to confirm how we're ready to follow uh, and act on that belief. And it tells us how we submit our body and life in baptism so that we can always follow Jesus and say that life is buried, it's dead, it's gone, and I'm following Jesus. What we sang a few minutes ago, words of life, words of hope, Give us strength, help us cope. In this world, where'er we roam, ancient words will guide us home. They'll guide us home to eternal salvation in God's presence. I like how Ted Nace summarized the power of the Bible. He says, the Bible is our friend because the Bible calls for change and liberation. It calls us to change from slavery to freedom. It calls us to change from unfaith, from doubt and fear and anger to faith and trust and love. The Bible calls us to change and promises us vision and sight instead of blindness, healing and cleansing instead of disease, liberty and release instead of captivity and oppression. End of quote. Isn't the Bible amazing? You see, that's what I want. I want that kind of life. How about you? You know, Jesus was teaching one day in Luke 11, and a woman was very impressed with what Jesus was teaching, apparently. So she hollers out in the crowd, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. In other words, it was kind of like she was saying, your mama must be proud of you, Jesus. <laughs> but it's interesting that Jesus doesn't respond to that. He picks up on the word blessed, and he says this, Luke 11, 28. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Are you hearing and obeying God? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Am I paying attention to God's words of life? And there's a question at the bottom of your page. I want you to write in there and ask yourself and myself, what will I do in response to God's guide for life? You know, we can, we can talk all day about how wonderful the Bible is and how it showed this and, and pre predicted things thousands of years and hundreds of years in advance, and that's cool and that's nice and, and all that. But until we respond and make it our guide for our life, it's just another book, like any other book in a library, good or bad, but I happen to believe that this book matters and it is the way to salvation. It is the final authority. So today during our time of self-evaluation and repentance and renewal and invitation, whatever word you want to use, uh, let's think about this gift God gave us. <laughs> the most important thing I think the Holy Spirit ever did was providing this for us because it's what unveils everything to us. 
so that we can respond to what Jesus did. So the Holy Spirit has given us this book, and then what have we done, what will we do, most importantly, in response? Talk about different responses, different aspects. All of us are in different places. Whatever it is you and I need to respond to today during this song, it's about trusting in Jesus. Do we trust him? Do we trust his word? Let's stand, let's sing, let's respond in whatever ways we need to, publicly or privately, uh, so that we can become the people God gave us his word to help us become. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.